you drew a diagram and the first circle said, you know, what do you love to do? The second circle said, what are you good at? The third circle said, what can you be paid for? And the fourth circle said, what does the world need? And they all overlapped. And you said in the center is really your purpose. And I wish someone would have shared that with me as a 22-year-old, because I think I only really understood the first two. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. I'm delighted to be joined today by Tama Duffy Day, who works at Gensler as a firm-wide leader within the health sector. Gensler is a global architecture, design, and planning firm with 49 locations across the world. Founded in 1965, the firm serves more than 3,500 active clients in virtually every industry. Gensler designers strive to make the places where people live, work, and play more inspiring, more resilient, and more impactful. Gensler's worldwide revenue for the fiscal year 2020 was $1.55 billion. In a career in design to date that spans more than three decades, Tama's expertise in health ranges from projects with academic medical centers and ambulatory care to community hospitals and senior living. As a frequent advocate for the benefits of generative space, Tama is dedicated to raising awareness of the impact that design has on health and longevity. And as a global advocate for older adults, Tama is focused on representing the positive side of aging in her work and life to eliminate bias in every industry. Join me on the podcast as we discuss healthy design, generative spaces, aging with grace in place, and ikigai, the importance of finding your purpose at every stage and age in life. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm really delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Tama Duffy Day, all the way from Washington, D.C. Tama, can we get straight into it? And can I ask you first, you know, how did designing for health and your interest in environments to support better health and healthcare become your passion? Hi, Mark. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for Thank having you. me. I think it, you know, it happened suddenly and it wasn't really planned. And I was staffed on a project early in my design career on a project with the Mayo Clinic. And it happened to be the largest cancer oncology project in the world. I didn't know that at the time, but every single meeting I went to, I learned something and I saw 
how meaningful this work was for the people who were involved in not only delivering the care, but obviously the families and the patients. And it just really moved me. And I have found it just such a passionate way to invest my time and energy in making a difference and helping, you know, those that are really stressed about maybe a health environment or a health episode they're going through, feel calmer and to allow staff to feel like they're served purpose and meaning physically in the space that we design. And it's just, it's just grown from there really, you know, astronomically. I mean, I think it is fascinating how environment can have such an impact on health. I mean, I've been reading recently how, you know, spending time in nature can be so therapeutic. It can be so good for your well-being. And I know you've written several blogs about this term called zip code health. In other words, your actual address, you know, can have a big impact on your health and well-being. What would you say about that? It's been a really interesting topic because I think as we grow up, many of us believe that our health is somewhat predicted by our DNA and, you know, obviously exercise. We've learned a lot about exercise and, you know, you talk about being in nature and the importance of well-being. So it came to quite a shock to me to understand that where I live mattered so much. And about 10 years ago, we started doing a lot of work with federally qualified health centers and delivering work for community clinics in areas of cities that really, truly needed this type of um, care, if you will. They were really living in health deserts. There really wasn't access to medicine. And I was shocked when I saw the Robert Wood Johnson zip code health maps that illustrated that lower income neighborhoods had shorter life expectancies. And I've really worked with health, federally qualified health providers to design and stand up, if you will, clinics in those areas to really support longevity and to really support whole health. Fascinating. And I think another way of looking at that is what's known in this part of the world as the inverse care law, which often means that those people that need a particular form of healthcare most are those very people least likely to receive that care for a whole variety of different reasons, uh, but including particularly uh, disadvantage. You know, in the United States in the last few years, the importance of inclusion and equity has become more aware. We've all become more aware of that. And I think what you just talked about is critically important and how we provide equal opportunities for health, for care, for education, for life, for beauty of life, for enjoyment of life is really a critical aspect of, of you know, what drives me. Fantastic. And it's great to have that passion and that really that, that purposeful commitment to something you believe in so deeply. I mean, you were talking there about DNA and, and really what's fascinating for me as a, as a medical doctor is this whole concept of the epigenome, how the epigenome sits on top of your DNA and accounts for perhaps 75 or more percent of how your genetic potential expresses itself. In other words, your DNA is not your destiny. And this epigenome is influenced by your lifestyle and by your environment. I truly believe that. And, you know, looking at climate and climate change and carbon emissions, you know, the built environment is such a driver of how the environment is. And, you know, we've been really focusing on building healthier in every aspect of that word throughout, throughout, you know, at least my profession. And it's certainly a topic that is in front of all of the younger generation that are coming into this profession of how they can be more meaningful. So as a designer, I mean, I'm fascinated by this 
concept and phrase you just used of building it healthier. I mean, for you, what does what does a healthy building encompass? What are the, what are the types of things you like to see in a, a healthy building? I mean, there's so much of it. You know, there is the the social aspect of health, right, Mark? Mm-hmm. You know, the importance of people being able to connect. There's the efficiency piece of health, of how you use the space and that it is a healthy use of, of built environment. And then there's the whole economic component of the built environment in terms of, you know, saving lumber and timber and reducing carbon emissions and creating a building that sits lightly on the earth so that it doesn't leave a big footprint you know, all of those aspects work together in designing something that, you know, builds health, as you said, both in community and also, you know, on our planet. I mean, that that brings me nicely to this whole concept of generative space, because that's where we met in this health design leadership collaborative, uh, this learning collaborative with Wayne Ruga a number of years ago, which was a fascinating experience for me to be able to sit with like-minded people and discuss health and discuss leadership. And of course, generative space is all about the physical environment and the social experience created within that environment. I agree. The conversations that we've had, the people we've engaged with in all of our sessions with Wayne Ruga have been really inspirational for me. And, you know, when I was educated about design, it was really about understanding the physical space the dimension of space, scale, light, texture, all of those elements that are part of designing. But we didn't talk a whole lot about the importance of the social aspect of space. And to me, that was really like the magic. And I couldn't express that in the work I was doing, although I already knew it was there. And so it gave me an opportunity to use and find new words that resonate really well with clients, especially when you're talking about clients that invest their whole life and their passion, like you, Mark, the physical and social aspect of communicate is such an important aspect so that you can see each other and talk to each other and feel like equals and designing space, the physical environment to support that relationship is critically important. And it's really helped me hone my skills as a designer and as a leader to really allow that to happen. Yeah, I agree with you, Tam. And it's it's something I'm very passionate about and, and believe in through my own actions in terms of the Waterford Health Park. And I really know from all my years working as a doctor that creating spaces where people can interact in a sociable way, but also a space that where people feel valued and where people can feel you know, that health is a, is a normal part of, of everyday experience, that it's not something to feel extra anxious about, that that's all good. Um, so you're involved in the Gensler Experience Index as well, Tama. Could you tell us a little bit about that? You know, the social element that we just spoke about, Mark, and the physical component, we've really been wanting to understand how to map experience in a really meaningful way how to design so that the experience matters. The social aspect is one of it, as we've talked about. The physical aspect is another piece of it. A third component that's really important is the operational aspect. You know, how does the business operate? How does that Mm. work? It needs to be designed in, and as well as your expectation. So what are you expecting? 
And how can you design that expectation, that brand, that alignment with experience in the physical space? And so I've really enjoyed using all of those tools and attributes to really design meaningful spaces in health and in senior living. Yes. And in terms of senior living, I know that it is something you are really, really passionate about. And in terms of, you know, the the third age and aging well and health span and so on, this concept of the 15 minute neighborhood that you've been talking about is, is this something that, that, that speaks to, to that in terms of people being able to be part of a kind of a broader community? Yeah, it is. You know, in so many, in so many cases, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And, and many people love the idea of retiring in a retirement community and, you know, enjoying golf or enjoying the activities that are surrounding that. But we're finding that additionally, older adults love to age in place in their communities and, you know, places that they know their neighbors. And the idea of this 15 minute neighborhood is really that you can get all the elements that you need in your life within a walking distance of 15 minutes. And, you know, for me growing up in a small town in North Dakota, you know, it was a little town and people got pretty much what they needed within this small area and in, I live on Capitol Hill, as you mentioned, in Washington, D.C., and we also live in a neighborhood where within a walking distance, everything is really at my fingertips. So I feel really lucky that I can age relatively easily in place because all of those elements that I need to live successfully, healthily, obviously because of my zip code is accessible because of that. So, you know, you see it all links back together, right? With the zip code and where you live and the attributes of health and really understanding how the design of the community matters and impacts that. Are you saying then this this is a move away from older people going into nursing homes and institutional care and, and, and more back towards people staying in communities that are beefed up as it were and empowered and enhanced to enable people to stay in their own place? I think that is a lofty goal, Mark, where we would be able to age in place with dignity, surrounded by our loved ones, by our neighbors. And in many neighborhoods, those elements for an older adult don't exist. So not everyone, in fact, very few people have the financial ability to have someone come into their house to care for them when they really need that one-on-one type of care that assisted living and especially memory care would provide. So we're looking at new models of care where neighborhoods could provide this in smaller ways. There's an element called the greenhouse model, which models about smaller ways that are less institutional about living with dignity in into and through all of the phases of one's life. Because there's no doubt about it, you know, environments really do matter. And if you can enable people to stay, you know, in their in their communities uh, in a safe way, it, it's a very good option for people, I think, as, as they get older. Not for everybody, of course, but it is a very, very good option. And I think it should be all about giving people, empowering people with, with choice. Yeah, our neighbors, Helen and Lee, lived to 95 and 96 in their house just down the street. Fantastic. And, uh, they were, you know, I never knew my grandparents and I felt so close to them. I couldn't really understand why, but you know, they'd wave and say, oh, I can't get my computer, 
you know, to turn on, will you help me? Or I'd say, you know, here, we bought some cookies or bake some cookies, you know, would you like to taste them? And they would share their garden supplies with us. And they were a member of our Capitol Hill Village, which is a social organization really in support of keeping people in their homes and their neighborhoods as long as possible. And it is such a positive experience with them that I'm very hopeful that this is possible we just need to focus on it and be intentional about understanding how to live and how to age with grace. I think that's lovely and well said. And I think it's about redefining aging as well as a positive as opposed to a negative. I mean, it's interesting, the research from Yale University, which says that a positive view of aging, in other words, seeing aging as a time where you acquire wisdom, new, new perspectives, etc., these people live at least seven years longer than people that have a negative view of aging. So I think there's great opportunities to plug into older people as a resource of wisdom, of experience, mentoring. Yeah. I mean, it's a blessing, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I love their sense of humor. I love that they're not so serious about every single thing going on in their lives. And, and they have a, a, you know, a ton of wisdom to share with us. And, you know, it's almost like what you said, Mark, at the very, very beginning, our own mental state, our own well-being has such an important aspect of, of, our, of our own longevity. So trying to stay positive and recognizing, yep, there's just another wrinkle or, yep, my hair is now another color and... Maybe I can't run 10 miles, but I can walk three maybe, right? Absolutely. And, you know, just Absolutely. staying active. I, I think older people, they generally, they, they don't sweat the small stuff. They've seen it all before. They know that this too shall pass. And uh, they, they have a great wisdom and perspective that they can share with uh, many younger people on this journey called life. Can I ask you about mentoring, Tama? Do you have a mentor? Do you men- like to be a mentor for other people? Have you experienced positive results from mentoring in your life career? Well, like you just said, I, you know, Lee and Helen, my older neighbors from down the street certainly did mentor me on, you know, stopping to sweat about the small stuff. And all throughout my career and my life, I've had such giving colleagues and giving advisors that helped me understand where to focus my time and energy. And I really am rewarded by mentoring and watching those around me succeed, you know, accomplish what they want to accomplish. Sometimes, you know, you you just need a smile. Sometimes they just need, you know, some encouragement, a cheer. Sometimes it requires, you know, having a serious conversation about, you know, some new ideas and how to focus their energies. But I'm really inspired by engaging in mentorship and advising, I am, you know, constantly in awe of what those around me accomplish at such young ages that I, it inspires me as well to, to move on and continue to be the best that I can be. Fantastic. And I think really giving really does start the receiving process in so many ways. In terms of your own career as a leader today, Tama, um, who do you most admire and, and why? Well, I've been really inspired by Kamala Harris for somewhat all the obvious reasons, Mark. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the first female vice president of the United States, you know, she lives blocks from my home. They live blocks from my home. So, you know, seeing Capitol Hill and the Capitol in the shadow, living in the shadow of Capitol Hill, it's a really important aspect. You know, she's just been so many firsts, the first Indian American senator, first Black woman to be California's attorney general, 
I just think that she provides such hope for women and girls of mm-hmm. all ages. I find it very, her very inspirational. She's certainly a great role model. And in terms of yourself, Tama, can I ask you, what's the best lesson you've ever learned in your career to date? Oh, Mark, there's so many lessons I've learned. At the moment, the one that is front and center, you know, is the phrase, people may not remember what you said, but they'll remember how they made you feel. My and I've been, yeah. And I really think about that a lot. It is a, the words we choose and being thoughtful, maybe hesitating a moment before blurting out what I'm thinking. I've been really intentional about that much more as I've gotten older and perhaps wiser. Well, I think that's terrific. I think, you know, life is about, is about a series of lessons. It's about to never stop starting, never stop learning, never stop growing. I think it is good, as you said, Tama, to choose to become more intentional with our words and where we put our energy. Indeed. If I was to ask you, Tama, looking back on your, you know, let's say your 22-year-old self fresh out of college, what might you say to that person now? I can share with them what you shared with me a couple of years ago. You drew a diagram, had four circles, And the first circle said, you know, what do you love to do? The second circle said, what are you good at? The third circle said, what can you be paid for? And the fourth circle said, what does the world need? And they all overlapped. And you said in the center is really your purpose. And I wish someone would have shared that with me as a 22-year-old, because I think I only really understood the first two. You know, what are you good at? And what will you get paid for? because I think school is a lot about that. Mm. And it was only later in my life that I realized that I needed to love what I did, mm-hmm. that, that that was a critical aspect of it. And I think that's why I've been focused more in health. And the concept of what the world needs was just never anything that I thought of as a young adult. And I love how those four working together really can really help shape purpose and understand really uniquely one's own purpose in life rather than to just be in a profession. Beautifully put. I mean, yeah, those four circles, it's the classic Japanese model of Ikigai, which is sort of, I suppose, the essence of our purpose of where those four questions uh, intersect. And of course, it's easy to be wise in hindsight. And in many ways, the past is gone. We can grow from our past, learn from it, But really, the past can be research and development. But really, today is the beginning of the rest of our life. And so looking forward, Tama, looking forward, you know, three years, five years from now, if everything you work towards comes to pass, if all those things you love to do come to fruition, if all those things you want to give to the world come to pass as well, uh, you know, in, in, in three or five years time, where do you hope to be? What do you hope might be different about where you are now? A couple of things come to mind. I would really love to lose my fear of being great. Mm. So I'll, you know, I guess I'll pronounce out loud that I really want to be a global advocate for older adults. And as you said, really represent this positive side of aging to eliminate bias in every industry, you know, starting in design. That would be a remarkable accomplishment for me and would represent to a certain extent my purpose. That's fantastic. And 
Talk to me about the fear element of that. I think that that's the part that is in within maybe all of us to a certain extent. I'm not sure that I understand clearly how to articulate it, but you know, I've been watching the Olympics. This is probably a ridiculous analogy. And there must be a moment of like fear or anxiety, but they put themselves in a position to compete, if you will, mm-hmm. regardless that they have figured out the physical strength to do what they're doing. But there has to be the mindfulness that goes with that. And it takes courage. And I think sometimes we are afraid to see the strength that each of us has and to go for it. Well, there's a beautiful saying that says courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to walk through your fears in pursuit of something that matters to you. And, you know, what I've learned in my own life is that, you know, it's okay to be afraid. And, you know, fear is it's part of the architecture of our very old brain, the old reptilian part of the brain, like I call it the cave, which really is resistant to change and will do everything it can to trick you into staying just exactly as you are. And so when you do change or you do stretch yourself and do something new, you're going to feel feel fear. You're going to experience anxiety, but that isn't necessarily something that's going to affect your performance. You can wrap yourself around that fear. You can you can address the anxiety. You can go for it, to use your language. And uh, in, in that way, the stress response can actually support better performance rather than hold you back. So just recognizing it. It's what I coach my colleagues on and my mentors on. And sometimes you need to coach your own self on, you know, listening to exactly to what you pointed out so clearly, Mark. Well, physician heal thyself. You know, we all have blind spots and we all need support. Uh, No matter how smart other people might think you are, everybody needs uh, encouragement at times and, and validation. So you're, you know, we're all the same, Tama, really. <laughs> um, I know. You know, um, Tama, can I ask you about your health? I mean, for somebody that's so passionate about health and healthy design and healthy neighborhoods and, you know, healthy aging, how do you stay healthy yourself? Well, I'll be honest, the pandemic has really been a challenge. I'm grateful that I, you know, live with a beautiful husband that is caring and I had someone to kind of experience this with, but, you know, I've had to really, I don't want to say step back, but in a certain step, step back and step forward by saying, okay, that was that time. And now like shake, shake it off, like get over it, get out, get walking, um, eat healthier, take a few less glasses of wine with dinner, um, you know, spend more time, you know, laughing or dancing or doing things that just keep you moving. And, you know, we talked about nature throughout this conversation. We've gone hiking so much and I'm just always so inspired by nature and every aspect of it, whether it's a cloud formation or a beautiful bird or, you know, watching bees pollinate flowers. I mean, it's just all right there. If you just take a moment and look at all this beauty around you. It's been really, so I guess it's mindfulness and exercise, um, staying in tune with your body, listening. And I think it's partly paying attention, Mark, right? Mm. You know, we know these things. We know that what we eat matters, how we live matters, who we spend our time with matters. So I've been really looking for the positive and everything. I think that's wonderful. And as you said, to be to be present, to pay attention, to be mindful to those people, places, and experiences that can support you in making health-enhancing choices. 
I mean, I'm really, really taken by the health benefits of of nature. And I really think it's so important in an increasingly urbanized world that we really carve out time and places where we can really re- disconnect or reconnect where, with the essence of who we are. You know, I must say, Tama, having known you for a long time, and I, I really am a tremendous admirer of of your leadership and, and what you've done in the world so far and what you're doing in the whole area of health design and health design leadership. And I do see you as being a very, very resilient person. Can you give our listeners three take-homes uh, about a resilient mind? I'll do my best from my perspective. We already talked about one, Mark. One is to spend time in nature. I think that nature is so resilient. It's inspirational. Um, and it is absolutely one of my three. I would say the second is to stay curious, right? Mm. I, I, I've just really, really am curious about so many things and I want to learn more. And it's almost like the more I learn, the more I recognize I really don't know much. (laughs) So, you know, constantly looking, reading, observing, and I've never really felt like I've mastered anything. And so I think I'm always on this quest to learn more, to understand how what I do can make a difference. And maybe the last one is to just maybe not take yourself so seriously to, you know, find humor and laughter and joy and, you know, hold those that you love close and dear to you. And, you know, just I'm shy. I'm a little shy. And, you know, it's sad that maybe only those closest to me know this kind of joyful, silly character that I am and can become. And so, you know, maybe don't keep that part of you that's joyful and, and, you know, funny, hidden. People appreciate that. Beautiful. And finally, Tama, for you, what's the meaning of life? Yes, you always end with these small questions, Mark. It's great. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I really think it's like living with passion, you know, find your joy and love in something and pass it on. Beautiful. Well, Tama, you've certainly found your joy. And not only that, you are sharing it with the world. So Tama, please keep leading, keep learning, keep inspiring uh, the next generation of leaders in the area of health design. And uh, Tama, keep being great. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.